Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Today on Accent of Women, we discover black girl magic. The Pan-African Poets Cafe, an already legendary African literary salon, pops up once again, this time at the Art Centre in Melbourne on Friday the 14th of July. This special pop-up event is called Black Girl Magic and Sister Zai started the project as an event that celebrates Africa's rich literary legacy and diverse storytelling traditions. On today's program, we feature the voices of four performing artists involved in Black Girl Magic. You'll hear from Brown Sugar Babe, a South African poet, JJ, a facilitator of poetry and homemade treats in a place called Ms Millie's Poetry Cafe, Nyauda Chol, a young African-Australian actress, and of course, Sister Zaizunda, the curator and creator of Black Girl Magic. Black Girl Magic is a literary event that I run as part of the Pan-African Poets Cafe. There are various thematics that I um, choose to explore each year. Um, Black Girl Magic I've explored already in Sydney and now we're bringing it to Melbourne and it's going to be a lineup of all women performing um, poetry, uh, song, Um, So we'll have people singing soul, we'll have rappers, we're going to have um, actors in film and from the stage, and poets. And it's a beautiful 90-minute show that is completely uplifting. It's about celebrating everything that we find inspiring about ourselves as black women and anything that we find particularly dope. So I'm actually paraphrasing... um, Um, other women from the United States because for those of you who know of the hashtag black girl magic you'll know that it trended on Twitter and people still use it it's like this is entered common parlance now you know this is part of our vernacular Um, this is black Twitter changing the English language and the person who came up and created the term and hashtag black girl magic her name is Kashawn Thompson and she came up with it because she noticed that every time black women suddenly came into um, the public's eye they came to prominence it seemed like it was coming from nowhere but in actual fact they've been working so hard for many years and the only other people who have been supporting them were other black women so this sudden appearance was like magic hey here's you know suddenly it's not and also the magic of being supported and united as women supporting each other so that's black girl magic so this event is all about supporting one another i think that when it um like a few points are completely in 110% is agreed upon. Our biggest supporters are other black females, other people of color. And one thing that I've noticed recently within this last year is that more people of color have kind of started to kind of interconnect with each other and start making our own places and, and creating our own spaces to come kind of force ourselves out there because it doesn't happen easily. And so we've kind of realized it. So I think you know, meeting sisters I, then I've had friends who've started different things as well. For example, I've got a friend, Wani. Um, these people kind of want to reach out with other people of color and say, listen, you know, let's let's do something big. Let's make it massive because we have so much talent, but we don't really have those platforms to put it on. 
people don't really give us those platforms. It's like instead it's kind of like token platforms sometimes I feel like, you know, like, oh, we're all so, you know, open-minded and we just want to hear your story. It's like, like it's like a restaurant. You know, come in and be like, oh, I'm feeling like a little bit of ethnic food today. I feel like some struggle today. So, you know, that's what I kind of feel like happens a lot of the time. And I feel like a lot of voices of colour have a lot of pain behind what they want to say. So our expression usually comes from, you know, places that, a lot of people don't understand. And so to express ourselves comfortably and openly, if we do have a, let's say, not a majority, the majority is not very mixed, it's hard to say or speak on our struggles without feeling like somebody in the room is going to be uncomfortable or someone's going to perceive it as angry or aggressive or something like that. So I think that it's no problem with white spaces or white audiences. I mean, Miss Millie's is very mixed up. It's very diverse. But a lot of the time, I do find that a lot of people of colour, when they come to do their poetry, they do hold back. And that's not the fault of the audience. I think it's just that we have so many creative expressions and a lot of like diversity in the colour of our voices that we kind of stop ourselves from saying what we want to say. So I think it's great that other people of colour have come along and they've started to say, okay, cool, you know what, we're going to make a space. We're going to call this ours. And if people want to come and listen to our story, they're going to listen to all of our story and we're going to make a place that's safe for us. What brought you to performing arts and, and the, the arts in general? What motivates your craft? Um, well, the craft originally or the love or passion of um, the written word comes from my father who's a man who uh, came through the apartheid era and um, he was restricted in his schooling, uh, but still persevered. He did self-learning and then later on when distance learning came in. So he was very much about pronunciation and, you know, just the way that we spoke. And uh, as a kid, we used to get teased because they're like, oh, you guys are trying to be poshy, are you? <laughs> and today, you know, I um, feel that I am the culmination of generations of struggle. This is the first generation. I feel like I'm part of history that's making a breakthrough. Like, it's not just the struggle that's pushing this. This is... Okay, now we can actually make it an art. We don't have to sing the songs and write the poems as a way of coping. Let's take this to another level. So I really feel like I'm in that uh, almost like time capsule where when you, this time is looked back on, it's going to be seen as this has been taken to another level. Our people have made a breakthrough. So I'm just so excited. <laughs> to be part of this era and, you know, seeing my brothers and sisters taking things to another level. Well, do you have a piece right there that you want to share? Um, I do, actually. <laughs> um, and it's about women, my passion. So asking, um, how is it that in 2017, I as a woman still do not have a voice? How? Was this not the same fight my grandmother and great-grandmothers and her mother fought? Not even in the wider public, but just in her own house. To speak is to be out of turn, too becker or cheeky, having too much sass or be a drama queen. All heavy labels placed upon the woman, an attempt to put a guard over her mouth. Weigh her down and keep her in her place, out of men's affairs. 
Don't worry your pretty little head about it, my uncle patronizingly says. Or is that the new place that you're working that's putting ideas in your head? Because you never used to ask me these questions, speaks the asshole controlling husband. Wanson sees his woman as an extension of himself and therefore tries to curb her opinions and prevent her expression of anything that he deems contrary to how he wants to be seen. You should know your place, the elders remind the young girls when they come with curiosity into the circle of old men chewing tobacco and telling tales of yesteryear. She is rebuked and chastised for her curiosity, not encouraged or praised. I have no say over the new home we're going to buy or what car we're going to drive. It's you who have the choice, because there's things best left to men, my dear, else they'll bamboozle you or for the least treat you as prey. Why can't I too learn what lies under the hood? Know my carburetor from my spark plugs, not only the damn kitchen plugs. Know about financial profiles and also the John Doe, not think it's a dead person, but that will probably make you go, whoa. While I'm sick and tired of generations and limitations and lack of expectations too. Let me have my say, man, and I'll let you have yours too. So tell me, you're you're an actress. How did you I get? I am how did, you, <laughs> how did you get into acting, and how, why is that a self-expression for you? Um, I, I I've always been a very very curious child as a kid. I think um as a child I performed a lot of like stories from the Bible growing up with Christian family and all these things. And um, when I came to Australia, I heard that. Apparently, you know, you can do acting as a career. I was shocked. I was amazed. I was like, this is the thing. Because when, when you see movies, when I see movies, I just think like they just magically appear. I just never thought about it. Like people actually put work into it and people, normal human being like me can actually, you know, record this thing and take it out as a career. So when I heard about that in high school, I had a child with one of my teachers and, you know, he told me all about it. So I was like, you know what, I just think that's what I'm going to do, you know. I'm going to become an actress and I'm going to tell the stories of my people. And so then on, the journey of becoming an actress began. Do you experience it difficult to get acting roles or anything like that for issues of racism or roles aren't really cast for people that look and sound like you? Absolutely. Um, so basically, um, the way it works is when someone writes a film or when someone writes a script, it's basically they're creating a world. And most of that time, we women of color or just um, black people, people in general, we're not a part of that world that they're creating. So basically, I've had like I'm ha- I've had people that tell me to my face, you know what we're looking for? We're looking for blonde hair, blue eyes, and you're just not it. And so I would just be like, you know what? I'm gonna take myself and my black hair and my brown eyes and go somewhere else. You know, I don't allow it to let me down. But it's just, um, that just comes to show that this is the kind of, you know, the world we live in. It's like our stories are not being told as as they should and we're not being put at priorities. Like, we're not, we're not, being, we're not being prioritized. People that are telling stories, they're not telling, this, they're not telling our stories. Or they tell our story, they take it and tell it in a different way that it's not us that are telling the story. So it's like they look from within. They, they're outside the window, look at our story, how we're doing it. They take what they see and come and do it their way. With that, including us, the people that gave them the story. 
Does it make a difference for all of those, I mean, those experiences that you have have been invisibilized and silenced or uh, or unacknowledged and unrecognized. What's the difference in a community that you guys are creating now? Like what does that mean for your art and your craft and your self-expression? That definitely gives us more confidence to go after what it is that we want to do, like to tell our stories. Meeting Sister's Eye, for instance, that gave me a lot more confidence than what I had when I was starting out. Because starting out, it was like I saw, you know, black Americans, but it's like they were so far out of reach for me to even connect with them. Like I knew what they were doing, but it's like, but how did they get up there? How are they doing all these actors? How are they doing their job? So one night I went to a poetry event and I met Sister's Eye. She's doing art, she's, you know, she's making moves. And I thought, hey, there's a woman like me, you know, my, the skin color, my color, and she's making this, like, she's making this work. So I figured, you know, it's not, maybe it's not as hard as it is. Like, it, it is hard, but it's like watching her breaking down those walls gives me confidence to also want to break down those walls. And I think creating this kind of community with a lot of women and a lot of, like, you know, women of colors and people of color behind us it just gives us more confidence to push through those doors and tell our stories our way, you know. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with four performing artists from Melbourne literary pop-up event, Black Girl Magic. My guests are Brown Sugar Babe, JJ, Nyaura Chol and Sister Zaizunda. Stay tuned to the end of the show for details on how to see these women perform live. This is a poem that I find that when I do write poetry, it has to come from a bad place half the time because I'm like, sunshines and rainbows. It doesn't, never comes out. I'm just happy, you know. So with poetry, um, with this poem, I was just kind of really irritated when I wrote it, Um, especially coming from my social, cultural, religious background. There's a lot of things that are put into what the expectation of a female is. And because I have my mum and my father who come from complete opposite worlds, there's just all this shit that gets put into what a woman's supposed to be and it really does me head in. So I wrote a poem about it and this is the one that I like to read because it makes me feel good. Okay. I thought I hated men, then I realised it was just some of them. I've grown up, I'm grown. I absorbed your lessons and I reflected what I was shown but... So many parts just didn't fit. I sat down at the table in a sports bar of my oldest brother, now 33, and his high school friend. His friend, he loves his wife, but he had a few things to say uh, about her shape. She's a great mother, a fantastic wife. She just doesn't look the way she used to. I looked at him. Neither do you, I'm Sure. My father told me when I was young not to get pregnant because my husband would cheat on me if I got too fat. My mother told me not to talk back so much because real men don't really like that. My auntie told me not to let men walk all over me. She's covered in so many invisible scars. She said, women are like cars. Nobody wants a car that's done too many Ks. My oldest brother married his ex-wife because she was a model. You know how men are, he said. My grandmother told me. My grandmother told my mum no one would marry us if we didn't know how to cook. My friends are 25 and they're lowering their standards because they're not married yet. They think that if they miss this window, the men their age will just marry younger girls. I was told not to show too much skin. When I uncovered, I had a guy tell me I covered too much. I didn't like being told how to dress. It was an expression of myself, but it hurt me to see that his idea of beauty was to be a bit more sexy. Being a woman in 2017 is confusing, much less confusing than being a woman in 2015. That year, we were told not to... That year we were told not to show any emotion, to be independent and do us. Yeah, 
don't trust any of these guys. They only want one thing, but we encourage each other to give them exactly what they want, accompanied by games to gain some sort of loyalty from them at our peaks, being told not to reach for anything too serious. More for, more for everyone else, I guess. I'm tired of being treated like a sampling board. I'm tired of being told if I get a little fatter, my man will get bored. Bored of my worth being laid at said husband's feet. How well I cook him pasta. How well I fold his sheets. I'm tired of being told that men have wondering eyes. I'm tired of being told to trust men but to dissect their truth because it's natural for them to lie. I'm tired of old women envying younger women because they were deceived into believing that they were lesser. I'm tired of women accepting that their beauty is only full for 15 years or so. I'm tired of a 50-year-old woman chasing their 20s for 20 years, missing out on loving beauty in full, waiting for senior years to look back on pictures of their 43rd birthday and say, gee, I was really beautiful. I'm tired of people telling me the evils of people because they made poor decisions. I'm tired. I don't want a man who will leave me because I hate to do laundry or a relationship that doesn't stay because I've begun to grow grades. I don't want women who work every day to keep their men interested, to teach my children their worth. I'm tired of our toxic behaviors being treated as one of those things men are not children they should know how to cook more than eggs noodles and pasta men get old and fat and no one says shit about that men have wondering eyes maybe those men deserve wondering wives maybe then they'll find someone who knows how to focus men should know how a period works men should know how birth works maybe then they can understand that men and baby are not synonymous men are not men are not babies I'm, be I'm tired of being told that I should baby these sheep dressed up as lions. Lastly, I'm tired of being told to be quiet. Men, real men are kings. Kings to rule nations, protect their king. They need to be sat next to a queen, not a fucking maid. So yes, I used to hate men. Now I don't hate men, just some of them. I think that, that poem is how we all feel coming from a cultural background or the minority background, especially when you are... African or growing up or growing up in an African um, home where your mother tells you what men expects of you. People tell you or you reach a certain age where it's like they expect something of you as a woman. Or from like the age of five, they start grooming you of what you should and you shouldn't do. You know, you'll be like, you can't dress like this, you can't play with boys anymore, you must always cross your legs. I'm five years old. What do I know about that? But it's like Usually when they tell you, it's not because of the boys your age, it's because the boys that are older than you, even older men, you know, having wandering eyes, just like, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's absurd, you know, like we should not be treating our young girls to always be like this mm. and always excusing men for the excuses from such a young age, you know. I think we just need to, um, as parents, you know, as we getting to this age where we are now has time to give birth to our own generation, we should not be repeating the generation of our parents. We should be teaching our children equally, both boys and girls. You know, not tell girl another thing and tell boys something else. I just really, for us to change that, to change this, um, the ideal of what women should be is to teach boys and girls the exact same thing as they grow up. You know, clean dishes together, clean the house together, both learn how to cook, you know, things like that. And we need to create kings and queens. We can't, creating, we can't be creating young men and women anymore. We just need to create kings and queens, change their mindset to respect each other. When I do read poetry that's um, coming from somewhere that's a place of, I guess, hurt, you know, I do feel like I do get approached afterwards by some females that are like, hey, that was... This poem usually gets like a lot of snaps and mm, and all these different noises. And this girl's like, they'll interrupt the poetry to be like, yeah, because they feel it. I mean, it was written from a place where it was like, um, now me, myself, I'm a mother. I have a five, it's almost five, I don't know. He's, he's going to be five soon. 
So I have a son. Very, very connected I'm, to this. I'm a great mom, obviously. I'm fantastic. <laughs> As a new generation, we just chill. Um, <laughs> so, like, my son, he's um, being raised by me and my ex-husband. And my ex-husband and I, we got married very young because it was like he was my boyfriend and we loved each other. The next best thing to do was we had to get married. Otherwise, our families will talk badly about us. And that itself took a huge impact on me in my life. Now, my brother, who's two years older than me, he got married to his um, now wife of I don't know, eight years when he was young as well. Because it was like marriage, marriage, how, marriage. How old are you now? How old I'm were you? I'm 26 in a month. And um, how old were you when you got married? I was 20. Yeah. So what? it wasn't until I was older and I started to feel the after effects of marriage and how important it is. And it's not just something you just parcel someone away with. It's really got a lot of effects on the people that are there afterwards. We, we have to walk away with so much because we entered into something that we're not ready to but be entered into but we're kind of forced by society to do something. Now, when I look back at it now, I do realise that I'm not the same way that other girls my age are, and which is okay, but I do realise that after I got divorced, the first thing on everybody's lips was, let me find you a husband. Let me find you a husband. And then even me, like at the time, I didn't actually compute things where I do now, but I was like, who's going to want to marry me now? I have a child. I'm going to be a single mum. I didn't want to be a single mum. Oh, my God, this is the worst. It was the worst thing that could have happened to me because I was like, I'm a single mum. Nobody wants to take on an extra child. But then when I actually got past that phase and I took control of things and I said, what the fuck? This is not going to happen. Omar, look, you got him half the week. I got him half the week. You're going to be in his life. You're his father. Your father. Okay, chill. Okay, simple. All right, me, I got him for the other half of the week. We'll do co-parenting. Look, don't, don't worry about the child support. You're doing as much as I am. So now after pushing away or pushing, pushing back on those expectations, I've realized that now I can actually function properly. If I meet someone, it's for myself. It's for love. It's different rather than I need to be married because I am now single. How am I going to do this by myself? Now I'm independent. Now I'm able to say, all right, cool, I'm a strong woman. My son's being raised by a strong woman and I want to be around other strong women so I can get stronger. So when I wrote that poem, it was around the time where my uh, family was just like, you know, hey, it's a lovely Palestinian boy. Uh, he goes to the gym. He's very, very strong. I'm like, I don't care. Like, I'm, you know, so those things, I feel like we all kind of relate to it in different ways because we've all had some sort of... Uh, variation of in our lives as females who come from the ethnic backgrounds you've been quiet and you're not a quiet person <laughs> and I just wondered um what what you were thinking of especially in this conversation of familial pressure and yeah. oppression as yeah. well yeah I was um I was thinking that you know one of the things now uh, I have a son uh which I raised mostly by myself and one of the things that I um teach him is um you know about the responsibility of his own emotional maturity so for instance I know that I only really came to know myself in my late 20s early 30s I think that is an ideal time to really start committed relationships because you know who you are you know your opinions and you know what you want to go where you want to go I definitely would not have chosen you know the person that I got married to at um, 23 
at 33. And so, you know, for us as uh, women of this generation to think that there are other things. Our parents come from a generation of survival where their highest aspiration was to have a man, was to have a family. We've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> and so honestly, looking after yourself emotionally, making sure that you have a direction and not waiting on somebody else to give you that direction. Then they join the party or they come to do life with you in partnership. You know, and anybody who comes to my life adds to it. The minute you start taking away from it, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> and I want to keep myself to that too. You know, if I'm going to come to somebody's life, be it friendship or relationship, I want to bring my game. So um, it's not just about the desperation and the mad scrambling to get a man and get a ring on your finger. It's about how do I want to do my life and who do I want to do my life with. That was Brown Sugar Babe ending today's show of Accent of Women. You also heard the voices of JJ, Nyauda Chol and Sister Zaizunda. They're all performers in the upcoming pop-up literary event, Black Girl Magic, a project of the Pan-African Poets Cafe. Black Girl Magic opens on Friday the 14th of July in Melbourne, and if you're interested in tickets, contact Zaizunda on 0451-059-268. You can also go to Accent of Women's Facebook page for details on how to catch each of these performers at their own gigs. And that's all we have time for on today's episode of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.